Our Christmas story this evening comes from the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is part of the prologue of the Gospel of John. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all the people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, He gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You can tell a lot about your neighbors by the way they decorate their house for Christmas. Our neighborhood has a lot of eclectic decorations all over the neighborhood, all different shapes and size at all, all different kinds. Down the hill, kind of around the corner, the Christie house is there, and they by far have the most decorations in our neighborhood. They have inflatable, uh, inflatables of every single character you can think of from every single Christmas movie. Right by the mailbox, there's a Rudolph with the abominable snowman right beside him, and that mailbox is covered in multicolored lights. And then back up closer to the house, there's Santa Claus with Santa Claus's sleigh. Snoopy is waving to you from the front lawn. There is a, a nativity set there, but it's right beside the, uh, the, the station wagon from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, <laughs> complete with the Griswold family Christmas tree on top. They have all kinds of lights all over the house, even those little icicle lights that come down from the the gutters, and and even the Grinch is standing over there pulling some of those lights off of the house. Julianne and I call this the party house. But now two doors down from us, it's a little bit different. The Hessers have a little more dignified decorations in their house. 
They don't have any of the multicolored lights. It's all the uniform bright white lights. And it looks like they've used a ruler or a stencil because all of the lights are, are put out perfectly. They have these columns on their, their front uh, porch and, and all of the lights just look like they are spaced evenly all up and down those columns. Each of the windows has a, a beautiful velvet red ribbon in front of it and there's a, a big wreath right on the front door. Julianne and I call this the classy house. Then there are all sorts of houses where they really didn't do many decorations. You might be able to see the Christmas tree through their window, but really no other decorations other than that. Julianne and I call this the smart people's houses. <laughs> if you're wondering about the Claytons, well, I usually take all of the Christmas tree uh, lights that I can find from the previous year. I go out right after Thanksgiving and I throw them haphazardly all over the ivy in my front yard, usually getting poison ivy as I do so. I take some of those lights and try to wrap them around our big oak tree in the front yard, but it usually can only go around maybe once. And then I take what's left and I, I try to take them and, and line the gutters along our house. Some of them are pulled tight, some of them are sagging low, some of them are blinking, some of them are not blinking, I don't know why. And this year I tried to even wrap the columns of our carport, but it all is sagging in, in all different ways and shapes and sizes. Julianne and I call our house the tacky house. If you drove through Tallahassee, you'd probably see all kinds of decorations of many shapes and sizes. This evening, on Christmas Eve, I want us to imagine that we could go to each of the homes of the gospel writers and imagine how they would decorate their house for Christmas. Let's go to Matthew's house first. Matthew would uh, probably have Joseph right there front and center. There wouldn't be a stable. There wouldn't be a manger. After all, Matthew doesn't mention those things. But there would be Joseph holding the baby Jesus. Mary would be right by him, his side. And behind him would be all these inflatables, but not of, of uh, characters from uh, favorite Christmas movies, but characters from the Old Testament, from that genealogy in Matthew, like Abraham and David, showing that Joseph is a part of that family. And then way over on the other side of the yard, the wise men would be there, bringing their gifts to Jesus. And up in the tree would be this big, bright LED star, burning brightly, leading those wise men to the baby. That's Matthew's house. Mark's house would be like those smart people's houses. Because you see, Mark doesn't tell any story about the, the Christmas story. He picks up right there with the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. Luke's house would be the party house, the big, bright house that you could see up and down the street. Right in front would be the stable and the manger. Mary would be there holding the baby. Joseph would be right there by her side. And then out in the yard, the shepherds would be there. Plenty of sheep around them, I'm sure. They would be looking up in the tree as well. But instead of a star, there would be countless little lights up in the tree. And those lights would be representing that heavenly host, praising God, singing glory to God in the highest. It would be so big, so bright, you could see it all up and down the street. Well, tonight, we come to John's house. Imagine what John would use to decorate his house for Christmas. Well, there's no mention of the stable. There's no mention of Mary or Joseph. There's no mention of wise men or shepherds. 
I imagine if, Joseph, if John decorated his house for Christmas, he would just use one decoration. One little light. One little candle in that front window. One little light burning brightly, trying its best to hold back the darkness. Because you see, the Gospel of John, it doesn't tell the story, the nativity story, like the other Gospels do. No, John wrote a poem, a beautiful poem about darkness and light, about the light of Christ coming into a dark and dreary world. It was a tiny light, a flickering light, of course, a, a light that, like a, a bulb that could burn out quickly or a light of a candle that could be blown out quickly because, after all, it was just a baby born in a manger, born out of sight, born out of mind, born into a dark and dreary world, a world that was in great need. This world that had lost sight of God, this world that had forgotten who God was. And so God sent this child, this light, this flickering light into the world to show us once again who God is and who we're called to be. This light that with all its might holds back the darkness around us. Because that's the world that Jesus lived in. It was a dark world, a dreary world, a world where people were at war with each other. Not unlike the world we live in now. You know, every time I read this prologue from the Gospel of John, I think about this great story that Will Williman told many, many years ago when he got the chance to go visit the Holy Land. He was traveling over there, got to go to Jerusalem and see the Temple Mount, see all these famous places where his favorite Bible stories had taken place. A lot of it was overwhelming, but there were a few things that were underwhelming. One of the most underwhelming places he visited was the town of Nazareth place where Jesus supposedly grew up, where Jesus was a child. He went to Nazareth and he found that it was actually kind of, in his mind, a, a dirty town, a town that had a lot of crime in it. And it was a desert town, a town that was gray and, 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 and seemed dusty. And even when he went to Jesus' house or the house where Jesus supposedly grew up, he said it was very bland. It was like gray walls and gray floors and gray ceilings and gray everything. He went through the tour, and as he was touring and coming back out of the house, out of the same door that he came in, right there on the side of the wall, right next to the door, was an inscription. It said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt here? In this dark and dirty place, the Word became flesh and dwelt here in this dark and dingy world? This world full of despair, this world full of pain. The Gospel of John reminds us that that's exactly what God did. God came right to this world, to the dark places, the places where the light need, was needed the most. And that's where that little candle was lit, where that light shines. And God calls us as God's people to take that light out into the world, to take that light out to those people around us in need, to take that light and shine it in those dark and dreary places. It's like the old adage says, a candle that's lit at midnight does not conform to the darkness, but instead it stands proud and tall and says, I beg to differ. That's what the light of Christ does on Christmas Eve. It comes into a dark world, a world in need, and says, I beg to differ, darkness. 
I'm here to show you the light. We've been given that light of Christ as a Christmas present this year, just like every year. And we're called to go out into the world and and shine that light on others. But it takes courage to do that, of course. This past week I was reading a story written by Elizabeth Gilbert. You might remember that novelist. And she was telling a story about one Christmas when she experienced that light from someone else that she encountered. It was a December night. People were getting on a bus. She was riding a bus home from work. And people were getting on that bus, trying some of them to get home from work. Some were, had packages with them after Christmas shopping. But it was a, a dreary night, a stormy night. And the bus was just inching along. It was running late, and as you might imagine, people were getting on that bus and they were irritable. They were angry. They didn't want to be on that bus with each other. People were yelling at each other back and forth. A couple of people were kicking each other's packages. Even a pregnant woman got on the bus. Nobody got up to give her their seat. It was just like this dark cloud was following this little bus as it inched across New York City. But there was one person on the bus that seemed to be unaffected by all this darkness. It was... The bus driver, he just kept humming along as he was driving, inch by inch, humming along to himself, unaffected by the the pain of the people around him. And finally, he got on the intercom of the bus and he said, I want you to know I'm sorry that we can't move any faster, but there's nothing I can do about that. I'm sorry I can't make the weather any better, but there's nothing that I can do about that. But there is one thing I can do. I can let my light shine. And then he sang those words that Trinity sang at our service earlier. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. He said, here's what I'm going to do. When you get off the bus, when we finally get to your stop, I don't want you to take your troubles and your pain with you up to your families, wherever you're going. So I want you to leave them right here with me. I'm going to stick my hand out. And you just take your troubles, whatever they are, and drop them in my hand. And when you get off that bus, you can leave them with me. And I'll take them from each and every one of you. And as my, my bus route, it goes right by the Hudson River. And I'll throw them all out into the river. And you'll never have to worry about those troubles. Just don't take them up to your family. As you might imagine, people on the bus were thinking, is this guy for real? But sure enough, at the next stop, he just stuck his hand out for the next person to come up. And they decided to play along. They took whatever they had and just dropped it in his hand. And as they got off the bus, he said, let it shine. He did that again and again. As more people were getting off the bus, they were dropping their troubles on him. And he would remind them to let it shine, to let it shine for the world to see. And when she got to the Hudson River, he rolled down his window and pretended to throw them all out there, reminding them all the way to let their light shine to the world. The light of Christ has been given to us this night once again. We're called to go out into the world and to let it shine, to be like that candle standing up in the midnight saying, oh darkness, I I beg to differ. When you go out into the world, you're going to encounter a dark world. You're going to encounter people who are hurting, who are brokenhearted, people who feel like they are lost and not loved, and you are called to go up to them, shine the light of Christ on them, and say, no, no, I beg to differ. 
You'll find people out in the world that are filled with prejudice and racism and hatred, and they're going to say, there's nothing you can do about that. It's growing too fast, too quickly. And no, we go up to them with the light of Christ and say, no, I beg to differ. There are world leaders that say, war is the best way. We're called to go out with the light of Christ and say, no, no, I beg to differ. We'll go out and see people who are homeless and hungry and hurting and and depressed and are in need. And we are called to use our words and our actions and our whole hearts to shine that light upon them and say, no darkness. I beg to differ. In a few moments, we're going to light candles like we do every Christmas. And when you leave, you're going to leave your candle in that, that bucket like you always do. But when you leave your candle... Take the light of Christ with you. Go out into that world, into this dark and dreary Christmas night. And when you do, remember the promise that we just read from the Gospel of John, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Remember that promise. And then go out, let it shine. Merry Christmas. Amen.